turn to Colossians chapter 2 briefly. It's been a, a lot of preaching and teaching this past year and not enough singing, so we won't we won't linger long, but I just want to center our thoughts for Easter Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, And that stood opposed to us. He took it away. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them by the cross. There's wonderful words in that little couple of verses. In verse 13, we read that he forgave us all our sins. Do you grow and do you develop in your understanding as a Christian? Do you mature as the years go on and you think over things? One of the things that I have really been affected by in recent years is the fact that I am forgiven. It just seems to get bigger and bigger in my thinking. I am forgiven. Death could not hold Jesus. Death could not hold him. Have you ever tried to hold anything that's really slippery? I used to go fishing at the Blackwater, at the big steel bridge near the Argery. You know Bonds Bridge? Yeah, I used to go fishing there years and years ago and would catch nothing but eels. Have you ever tried to hold an eel? Like an eel that's alive (laughs) because they are slippery and they are wriggly and they just sort of seem to secrete this horrible slime and you can't hold on to them. And fishermen would say, if you're going to get a grip of an eel, you need to bring some newspaper or something to wrap around it to get a hold of it, to get the hook out and put the thing back in the water. And I often think of that when I think about the fact that death could not hold Jesus. It could not get a grip on him. It couldn't hold him. It had to let him go. I sometimes think of sin as being like the grips at a climbing wall. Sometimes you take your kids places because you want to play there (laughs) yourself. You know, you go to the climbing wall and you sit with a sad look in your face. And then the instructor comes over and says, do you want to have a go, sir? And you're like, yeah, (laughs) I do. But there's these little grips that you put your fingers over to, to pull yourself up the wall. And I sometimes think of sin as being like those grips. Sin allows death to get a grip on me. Sin on me becomes those little hand grips that death can then get a hold of me and hold on to me. But Jesus did not sin. And therefore there were no grips on him and death could not hold him. And not only that, but he has forgiven me. (laughs) And he has forgiven us. So there's no way for death to hold any of us. Whenever Jesus faced off against death death took one look at him and thought I've never seen anything like this before I've never seen a man that I can't get a hold on get a grip of and hang on to I've never seen a man like this and I was thinking this morning 
I wonder who was the first Christian to die after Jesus was raised from the dead. Was it Stephen in the book of Acts or were there others in between? I don't know. But I can imagine, you know, death had this tremendous shock that went through it when it could not hold on to Jesus because there was nothing to grip hold of because there was no sin. And death is maybe still recovering from the shock of not being able to hold Jesus. And then Stephen turns up and is like, we can't hold him either. (laughs) We can't hold him either. His sin has been forgot, forgiven as well. And that realization that no longer can death get a hold on humanity because one has forgiven our sins and there's nothing for death to hold on to. So not only could it not hold Jesus, it could not hold Stephen, it could not hold any of the martyrs in the early church and it cannot hold us. It has to yield to the voice of Jesus. Not only are we forgiven, but we also read powerful words in in verse 14. We read cancelled and nailed. Cancelled and nailed. Every accusation against you. We know that Satan is the accuser. And Jesus has taken everything that was against us and stood opposed to us. Every accusation. You're this. You're that. You're not this. You're not that. You did this. You did that. You failed at this and you failed at that. Every single one of those accusations is nailed to the cross and is cancelled and cannot stand up in a court of law against us because Jesus has nailed them to the cross and said they're done. They are done. There is no accusation that can stand against those who have been forgiven by King Jesus. No accusation. And if you're anything like me, and six weeks of of listening to some good teaching and, and, and good points being raised on that course that we did at Belfast Bible College there, if you're anything like me, there are moments where your thoughts are not exactly where you want them to be, where they're negative and they can be dark, and you can, you can turn over things in your mind from the past or whatever and think, I failed, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that. And the accusations can come. Remember in those moments the truth, every one of those accusations. Just picture it in your mind, written down a bit of paper. Picture King Jesus just nailing to the cross and saying, done. That accusation can stand no more. He has cancelled and he has nailed those things to the tree, to the cross. I was thinking this morning about a song um, by, by John Mark McMillan. Um, the song's called Love at the End. And there's a line in it where he says, Tell the reaper, death. Tell the repo man. And the repo man is the repossession man that will come to a house in America if you can't pay your debts and repossess all your stuff. And he says, tell the reaper, tell the repo man, I've got nothing that belongs to him. (laughs) A class. Tell the reaper, tell death, tell the repo man who would come and take everything and say, you can't pay your debts and I'm taking everything. Tell him, I've got nothing that belongs to him. The debts have been paid and death cannot hold us. Cancelled and nailed. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 15 that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. 
Now, the word disarmed is not a hard word to understand. It means he's cut their arms off. It's a bit gross, isn't it? But the powers and the authorities in the Bible are not just Herod and Pontius Pilate and Caesar. It's the forces behind them, the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. It's the beast of Revelation 13 who, who is behind corrupt political powers and kingdoms. It's the false prophet of Revelation 13 that is behind false corrupt religion. And Jesus has disarmed those things. In ancient warfare, if you wanted to make sure that your enemy could not attack you again, you literally cut his hands off because you fought with your arms. That's why guns and bazookas and and RPGs are referred to as arms because they have replaced ancient warfare that you did with your hands. And to disarm your enemy was literally to remove the arms so that he couldn't ever fight against you again. And Jesus on the cross disarmed Satan and disarmed the powers and the principalities that stand opposed to his people. Removed their strength. You've seen scenes in movies where people have come up with a gun to shoot somebody and they pull the trigger and there's a click because there's no bullets left in the gun. And whenever Satan comes at us in a threatening manner, when accusations come at us, you can counter that with, there are no bullets in that gun. (laughs) You have been disarmed, you have been decommissioned, And your accusations against me cannot stand. They're nailed to the cross. Here's a verse that I need to quote a lot more when I'm thinking, when I'm pondering things. No weapon turned against you shall succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Isaiah 54, 17. Every accusing voice, every opposing voice, everything that comes from the powers and the principalities disarmed, silenced, decommissioned, nailed to the cross, and therefore no power over us. And finally, it says at the end of verse 15, he triumphed over them. He triumphed over them. He made a public spectacle out of them, made a fool of them, humiliated them by the cross. Now listen to that. He triumphed over them by the cross. Sometimes we can think that the cross was a moment of defeat and the empty tomb was a moment of victory. That is not biblical. The cross was the moment of victory. The moment that Jesus cried out, it is finished. He was not feeling sorry for himself and saying, my suffering is over. He was victory cry. It is finished. The accuser can accuse no more. He has been disarmed. At the moment of his death on the cross was the moment of victory. When we read in Matthew 27 about events around the crucifixion, it was at the moment of his death that the temple curtain was torn in two and people could approach God. It was at the moment of his death that the graves opened and people came up out of them and came to life. At the moment of his death was the moment of victory. In Hebrews 2, 14, we read, the writer to the Hebrews says that by death or by his death, let me just find it and get it right. Hebrews 2, 14, by his death, he destroyed him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. By his death, the cross was the moment of victory. The weakness of God Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the foolishness of God, 
turned out to be wisdom and power and victory. And in Revelation 5, when we see the scene in heaven and and John is upset because no one is able to open the scroll and see God's plan for the ages come into being, John is told to turn and to look because the, the lion has prevailed. And when he turns and looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb because it was the moment of sacrifice that was the moment of victory. And the resurrection is the new creation. It's the birth of hope. It is the the fallout of the victory over death is resurrection and new life. It is God's vindication, God's confirmation that victory has been won. But it was the moment where he screamed, he cried, he roared, it is finished. That's the victory cry. And in heaven, right now, in glory, whatever it looks like, at the center of it, there's a lamb who is worthy. And worthy because he was slain. So we celebrate this morning the victory of the cross. Traditional churches get it right in terms of Holy Week and meeting during Holy Week and and taking specific days and celebrating specific things. And one of the things about not being together on Good Friday means we can sometimes focus on the resurrection, which obviously needs focused on, but we can miss the victory moment, which was the cross. Amen. So let's celebrate.